This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. You know, there is one political belief that has been increasing in popularity over the past couple of decades and just ramping up momentum. More and more of the electorate has been sharing a unifying grievance that is held by Trump supporters, Hillary and Bernie supporters, left to right to middle. The one thing that all voters from Maine to Hawaii, from Alaska to Florida, uh, of all stripes and types, from rural to big city, they all agree on is that the rich are getting richer and the poor and middle class are paying for it. (laughs) That is one thing almost everybody agrees on, except for about 25% of the electorate, most being the richest Americans. Everyone else, from Republican to Democrat to Independent, agrees that a state of reverse Robin Hood has been going on for way too long. There isn't unified agreement on social issues, gender issues, racial issues, or even how to spend the public funds once collected. But there is consensus that the swamp dwellers are profiting off the poor and middle class and paying politicians to structure the government to protect their ability to do so, right? We know that Democrats, you know, Bernie, Hillary, the left have been talking about this for a long time. In fact, you will recall that Hillary's biggest hurdle was the uh, that people didn't believe she was sincere in her calling out of this shared grievance. And it's why Trump was so well received by Republicans, because he was among the first to call this out. Remember, Trump talked about this constantly on the campaign trail over and over and over again. He told his supporters to great applause that he would end the lobbyists, the cronies, the giveaways to Wall Street, the tax codes that enrich the rich, that he was going to raise taxes on himself and his rich friends so that there would be more than enough to increase Social Security to Medicare, health care. He promised all those things. In fact, he promised that everyone would have health care and everyone would have higher wages and better jobs and more protections from corporations, crony politics, labor abuses, foreign offshoring, everything, etc., etc., etc. He promised to reverse the concentration of wealth in the few and make a government that leveled the playing field, made rich people pay their fair share and protected consumers from corporate greed. He promised those things, and that's why they voted for him, right? And it was such a, you know, that being the biggest issue amongst Trump supporters, Bernie Hillary's, that was such a unifying, crucial, you know, duh in our nation's social political psyche that good-hearted Trump voters were willing to ignore his, you know, malignant narcissism, his sexual predation, his bankruptcies, his ties to Russia, his multiple marriages, his bullying, his crudeness, his ignorance on issues, his lies, his lies, his lies, <laughs> all of that because he was for the things that are life or death for almost everyone, everyone but the top 25%. You know, he was for the healthcare, opioid treatment and addiction, economic opportunity, economic fairness. He was going, Trump was going to right the ship to the way it was in the 1950s. You know, make America great again, right? Not, and not, 
the part of the 1950s where we, you know, matching the social or racial conditions, although he, he was kind of doing that too. But the important nostalgic greatness of the 1950s that attracted voters, which is the time when the middle class was wide and easily enterable. Make America great again, right? Drain the swamp. Move money from Wall Street to Main Street. He said it over and over again. That's what the voters wanted so badly, they were willing to ignore massive character and psychological flaws in order to put out that fire. You know, I mean, if you're in the emergency room and you're bleeding profusely and you're in massive pain and the nurse that you get assigned is that lying, cheating ex-girlfriend who stole your dog in the breakup, you will you will let her bind your wounds and then deal with how disgusted she makes you afterwards. And that's what a lot of voters did. And that's what the non-Trump supporters wanted, too. It was unifying. And their candidates spoke of it. Whether you were a Bernie, Hillary, Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, Evan McMullen, they all talked about the rich getting richer on the backs of the poor and the middle class. And if you don't believe it, look at the polls, current ones and the polls over the last two decades. Everyone but about 25%, most of whom are Republicans, sadly, knows that we've constructed an economy that benefits the super wealthy and corporations and that we can't keep running up deficits to make sure the wealthiest among us continue to disproportionately benefit. Which, by the way, when you run up the deficit, it double benefits Wall Street because the federal debt is carried unprofited on by American banks and shareholders. The trust fund babies, the inherited wealth, the passive income crowd has structured the economy to work for them, not labor, not small businesses, not farmers, not average Joe and Joanne, right? But you're like, I know, Jeff, we know how terrible it is. We know we all agree on that. That's the difference. We see what you're doing, (laughs) We see you standing in front of the cookie jar with crumbs and all over your face and handfuls in your pockets and you're sneaking to your friends and donors and rich friends. We see what you're doing. We saw it when you enriched and ran up the deficit when W and Congress did it. You know, but the difference between then and now is this. In the same way that when Donald Trump survived sexual allegations before the Me Too reckoning and wouldn't now, well, that was then and this is now. Before, you could get away with giving more tax cuts to the rich by amassing debt on every man, woman, and child back when it was just, you know, out of whack. Uh, The economy was out of whack. And wisely, W and the Congress borrowed and gave a pile of money to all Americans as well as a disproportionate amount to their rich friends, which made everybody kind of happy for the moment. But now that every voter from Trumpers to Hillbots to Bernie Brothers recognizes that the biggest economic scam in American history is going on and you're making it worse. We see what you're doing. All of us. We see that you've just given hundreds of millions of dollars to Wells Fargo, the company you refused to punish after they signed up tens of thousands of customers to unwanted accounts and then responded by firing a thousand low-level employees. And the CEO of Wells Fargo has already admitted that they would take that massive windfall and give it to their shareholders, not their employees, not hire more people, not give better benefits. They're not going to do any of that. And you think Americans are going to sit back and let you pay for your tax cuts to the rich by taking it out of Medicare or Social Security or programs for the disabled? We see what you're doing. (laughs) We see it. Now, when we come back, I'm going to give a little advice to the Republicans, the 25% as well, because there is a way to make yourselves right on this trickle down. But we see what you're doing. We're going to get into that more when we return to Possibility Politics. 
This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, producing the show. This is the place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. And it's also the place where uh, we have to have a little fun, uh, especially if something is as is, is, is wild, as chaotic as this tax, uh, big tax cut bill, which they don't even know what is written in it. They don't even know what is in it. They keep asking, the reporters keep asking congressmen what's in it. They just like all these different half answers. They don't know what's in it. They don't know if it's going to work. And now there's even talk that Donald Trump may have to sign it in January because if he signs it in the 2017 year, it'll actually, uh, because of goofs in the law and the way it was written, that it will cause instant cuts to Medicare and Medicaid. <laughs> it's like, they didn't even get any of that right. But anyway, uh, to move us into that next part of the topic, uh, I give you the great Seth Meyer. President Trump keeps insisting, despite all evidence to the contrary, that this tax bill will not be a boon to the richest Americans. In fact, in the spirit of the holiday season, he keeps calling it a Christmas gift to the middle class. This is going to be one of the great gifts to the middle-income people of this country that they've ever gotten for Christmas. It will be the greatest Christmas present that a lot of people have ever received. We're now one huge step closer to delivering to the American people the historic tax relief as a giant present for Christmas. Remember I said we're bringing Christmas back. Christmas is back Bigger and better than ever before, we're bringing Christmas back. It almost sounds like he was about to start singing. <laughs> it's like he's doing a weird Al cover of a Justin Timberlake song. <laughs> right? I'm bringing Christmas back. <laughs> Them other holidays are super whack. <laughs> also, Christmas didn't go anywhere. We're all up to our necks in Christmas. Every TV show has a Christmas episode. Every commercial has a Christmas song. There's a 70-foot tree outside my office window, and every barista in town is wearing antlers. If you want to bring something back, try Kwanzaa. That thing straight up disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> of course, virtually every reputable study of the tax bill says that corporations and the wealthy will benefit far more than anyone else. For one thing, the corporate tax cuts are permanent, while the individual tax cuts expire, which means that by 2027, more than 80% of the plan's benefits go to the top 1%, while 53% of taxpayers will see a tax hike. And if you just look at next year, the plan's benefits are very heavily skewed towards the wealthy. Middle-income taxpayers would pay about $900 less, where the highest-income 1% of households would get an average tax cut of roughly $50,000. Here's what that means in real terms. For middle-income people, an extra $900 would pay for about seven months of gas. By contrast, those in the top 1% could pick up a nice Mercedes C-Class coupe with their 50,000-plus average tax cut. So to recap, if you're rich, you're getting a car for Christmas. And if you're not, go ahead and wrap up a can of gas. Seriously. Of course, Republicans... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this next to the fire and open it later. <laughs> Thank you, Seth Myers. But we see what you're doing. We see what you're doing. Now, that, that not just some of us, but 75-plus percent and growing see that this is the wrong direction. We all wanted it to, wanted economics that made sense, and you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. But 25% or so of the electorate is okay with it and genuinely believes in trickle-down economics or, or maybe is so such a dedicated to a Republican win that they're willing to ignore the numbers and put faith in these growth expectations and legislative fixes that will supposedly follow uh, because to them, you know, it's Republican Party above all these, all for all fo for these folks. So it's just, you know, party, party. So, uh, but for the rest of us, uh, <laughs> we're done with this. 
Republicans, look at this. The Republicans now have a 48-point gap among voters under 40. My family's Eisenhower Republican Party, which, which, which knew that a balanced economy was key to a democracy's health, that the system of protections and allocations of the public trust you know, must promote life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for as many Americans as possible, not just the top 1%. And that is being learned. So there won't be a Republican Party if they don't fix a 48-point gap under, under people under 40. <laughs> Stop killing the Republican Party! That party used to believe in, you know, God, country, and party, and now it's just party, party, and tax cuts. I don't know. But to the 25% of the country who believes that these tax cuts will do exactly what Paul Ryan claims, I, I actually have some suggestions for you and, and uh, to show, you know, to prove that you're right. So, uh, well, to get into that first, let me uh, play a little bit of Paul Ryan and, and, and his uh, perspective on this, right? Corporations. And the problem is, as a lot of CEOs have said, really candidly, Savannah I'm Guthrie. looking at a list of CEOs who said, we don't plan to reinvest. What they're planning to do is to do stock buybacks, to line the pockets of shareholders. Let me quote Michael Bloomberg, a billionaire, hardly an enemy of business. He said, CEOs aren't waiting on a tax cut to jumpstart the economy, a favorite phrase of politicians who have never run a company or to hand out raises. It's pure fantasy to think that the tax bill will lead to significantly higher wages and growth. I'll ask you plainly, are you living in a fantasy world? I would compare that anecdote to just the surveys of businesses like the National Association of Manufacturers surveys, which show the vast majority of businesses are going to do just what we say, reinvest in their workers, reinvest in their factories, pay people more money, higher wages. Let me pin you down the, on the, that, the, though. The data is really clear, by the way. Workers benefit from this through higher wages. It's not a question of if, it's a question of how much they benefit. And I'm it's jumping really in. So now he really believes that. And the Republicans who voted for it, including even the Lisa Murkowski, Susan Culver, they believe that um, if you give more money to rich people, they will uh, give it, trickle it down, right? And I actually have some suggestions for you if, if, if you are in this camp and you want to prove that that is right. It could do exactly what you say it will. You can make this work, but... It'll take courage and humanity uh, as well as sound fiscal intentions like you have never summoned before. <laughs> you know, you will have to. Here we go. Note to CEOs and rich people and millionaires. OK, if you want to be right. And there is a hashtag. I love it. I've been seeing some of my right wing uh, millionaire friends who have the hashtag uh, trickle down works. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, here we go. This I, I'm laughing, and obviously that makes me. You, you can tell the mockery in my tone, but and I apologize. But here's how you could make it work. You really can. You got to start giving raises and benefit contributions to the employees like crazy. Not just a little bit. You know, AT and T said they were going to give a uh, a few companies that they're going to give a, you know a little because U.S. corporations uh, already have. Around $2.2 trillion, according to Wall Street, according to the CNBC and then Fox Business, they have $2.2 trillion in cash on hand, and they haven't invested in increased wages. So already U.S. corporations have massive profits, record profits that they have not seen in the history. This is a gilded age. This is a moment where the, the richest are so thick and companies are so thick with profits, and they haven't invested at all in increased wages. So almost not at all. And so if you want to make it, because you can, and that's statistically true. That's not just my opinion. You can look at the charts of wage growth. Wages have been stagnant for 20 years plus, okay? 
So they haven't been investing in their record, record, record profits, more cash than they had and they haven't been investing. So if you want this to work, you've got to start giving raises and benefits like crazy. And again, a few companies like AT&T are giving these Christmas bonuses, a sudden check. AT&T says it's going to give you know $1,000 to each one of their employees. And this is obviously to be in lockstep with the Republican agenda and try to prove them right. That's great. Uh, but they had this money already, and they hadn't given it to them uh, employees before. And but now, and they're getting a ton more now. The profits. Uh, when you look at the article on CEOs on on the on on what Wells Fargo is going to get, it's unfreaking believable. The hundreds of millions that this company is going to get from this tax uh, bill, and they have already had hundreds of millions. And all they did is fire people. <laughs> Record profits already. And now they're getting a ton more. But when the average millionaire gets a $51,000 tax cut for the in the first year, the trickle down to the employee, the regular average Joe is getting about $1,000, maybe $2,000 tax cut. If you want to be proven right about trickle down, that trickle down works, you've got to do way better than that. You know, it's like, oh, oh, you know, oh, gosh, American worker, your wages are 25 years behind the economic growth. Okay, here's a check for a half month's pay. There, see, it trickled down. No, you got to see massive raises. Somebody making 80 grand's got to be making 90 grand, 100 grand. Somebody that's making 35's got to be making 45. And you say, well, those are massive impressive increases. Yeah, kind of like the tax cut you just received. And if you want trickle down to work, you've got to do that. Because remember, the other the tax tax cut bill has done another thing. It destroyed one of the legs of Obamacare, the individual mandate, which means about 13 million people will leave. 13 million healthy people, because if you don't have a mandate, healthy young people will drop their insurance because it won't be required to have it. And if without healthy and young people paying into insurance, then it's just sick and old people. And so the premiums, they say, will go up between $1,000 and $2,000 for the average person, which more than matches the $1,000 to $2,000 tax cut. So that's a zero. So they, the middle class and poor didn't get a tax cut at all. And so what do you got to do for you CEOs? You've got to give benefit increases because a lot of my, I know a lot of friends, you know, anecdotally who are looking at hundreds of dollars more. I am too. Hundreds of dollars more in premiums that we've got to pay. The companies didn't come up and start paying the difference. You got to do that. And I know that's not going to be easy because for you CEOs, I know that that the, your primary fiduciary responsibility is to enrich the shareholders. That's your job. And to give employees raises is a contradiction to that prime directive. But in order to be right about trickle-down, CEOs would have to take a step of courage that will probably get them fired. If the increases in wages and benefits is... Now, if they do give an increase in wages and benefits and it's offset by productivity, then a CEO could survive it. Sure, they'll survive, but that means that you'd be paying employees more but demanding more work. So it's not really a benefit to the employee. So in the same way that health insurers make money by denying claims and treatment, that's how a health insurance makes money, right? You want to collect premiums and not give treatment. Well, CEOs make money for the shareholders by keeping labor costs low and profit high. So in order for trickle-down to work, there has to be a massive, unified moment of humanity and generosity among CEOs that is so courageous that it will likely get them fired for slowing the profits to their shareholders. Now, it does happen here and there. 
Much to the chagrin of the markets and shareholders that when a CEO says, I've got to reinvest in some workers, I've got to hire some better people or, or I pay more. But in order you know, for this to work, the vast majority, the vast majority of wealthy people have to be more generous than they have ever been in human history. So you better start selling this idea to billionaires. If you want trickle down to work, you better sell it real soon. Or the Republican Party is going to be cut in half by 2018 and effectively cease to exist by 2020. Because when it comes to the other 75% of the electorate, they see what you're doing. We see what you're doing. <laughs> we get it. And they apparently don't. And then the other part is the deficit spending, right? Uh, here's Paul Ryan on that one, right? Let me ask you about the deficit. You are a longtime budget hawk. You, I remember you in 2012 doing campaign events in front of that deficit clock. And yet it is estimated this tax cut is going to cost $1.46 trillion more to the deficit. Now, I know that the theory is that if you have more tax growth, you get more revenues into the coffer, and that reduces the definite, but yeah. deficit. But let me just put a fine point on it. Are you saying that the growth you're going to get from this tax cut will equal the amount it would cost on the deficit side so that it's a wash, so that you're not adding to the deficit at all because of this? Nobody knows the answer to that question because that's in the future. But what uh, we do know is that this will increase economic growth. Here, let me say it this way, Savannah. Increase economic growth. People are living paycheck to paycheck in this country. More than half of the people are in this country. Another group of people in this country are about one check away from living paycheck to paycheck. We have not had a 3% growth economy since before the Great Recession in 2008. What that means is stagnant wages, flat living standards. You have to get faster economic growth so that people can get ahead in America. That's what we're doing. The average tax cut for the, for the median family of four in America is going to be $2,059. $2,000, <laughs> if you're living paycheck to paycheck, is a serious tax cut. So what we're trying to do here is give relief to hardworking families, give relief to Americans. We're doubling the child tax credit, doubling the standard deduction, lowering rates across the board. We're, we're making it so simple that you can that almost nine out of ten taxpayers can do their taxes on a form like a postcard. Not so true. The point we're trying to make here, Savannah, is we it's need faster economic growth. We need to help people who are living at the margin, who are living paycheck to paycheck. That is good for America. The other thing you need to do, and you rightfully point this out, in addition to getting the economy growing faster and getting people in higher paying jobs, is we had to control our spending. Yeah. That we have more work to do. We clearly have to go after spending control, but you also have to have economic growth. Those are the um, twin things that get the debt down. Grow the economy, cut spending. This will help grow the economy. So... <laughs> When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the, the, the liar's lens and what has happened to American electorate and what this bill really means and what will happen if CEOs and multimillionaires don't have a sudden unified surge of trickle-down generosity. Uh, that is all going to be returning when we get back to Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the purple state of mind with the amber airwaves of grain. Uh, I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for listening. And uh, this is Seth Meyers. We can't know exactly how Trump would benefit from this bill since he still refuses to release his tax returns. But we do know there are lots of changes that would impact him directly. For one thing, Republicans lowered the top income tax bracket. There are also tax breaks for so-called pass-through businesses, which includes the Trump Organization. There was even a last-minute provision added that specifically extends a new tax break for pass-through businesses to real estate investors. In fact, the bill has so many complicated tax breaks and giveaways, Republicans are trying to argue that average Americans would benefit from those tax breaks by really stretching the meaning of the word average. 
Take this tweet yesterday from Texas Senator John Cornyn. Cornyn wrote, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a married couple earning $100,000 per year, $60,000 from wages, $25,000 from their non-corporate business, and $15,000 in business income will receive a tax cut of $2,603.50, a reduction of nearly 24%. Yeah, you know, that average American family that has two kids, a house, a white picket fence, corporate income, non-corporate business income, three limited liability corporations, two S corporations, two C corporations, a commercial real estate venture, a limited liability partnership, carried interest, oh, and a dog. <laughs> exactly. And they're calling that a serious tax cut. Bob Ryan thinks that's a serious tax cut. What he doesn't understand is that if you're in wages that are so below what you need to survive to pay your mortgage, to pay you know an extra $2,000 a year when you need twenty, thirty, forty thousand more dollars a year, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help. You can't tax cut your way out of this, but they don't get it. Um, they see it very differently, and I don't necessarily want to say that it's wrong to see it that way. They really believe that if you give money to the super rich, Case in point, again, Wells Fargo, they will receive an 18% boost in their earnings from this tax bill. They say that the market is estimating, market analysts are estimating that to be an impossibly an increase of $5 billion in profit. They're going to make $5 billion more dollars in profit at the expense of, you know, uh, healthcare, <laughs> wages. And you say, oh, well, that'll trickle down. Okay. If you want that to trickle down, then, and Wells Fargo, the CEO has already said <laughs> in a presentation to investors, CEO Tim Sloan was asked what the company plans to do with the GOP engineered windfall. He answered, quote, it is our goal to increase return to our shareholders. And do we have an excess amount of capital? The answer is both yet to both is yes. So our expectation should be that we will continue to increase our dividend and our share buybacks next year and the year after that and the year after that. So he just said they're going to take that $5 billion, they're going to give it to shareholders. And he said, oh, that's good. The shareholders will take it and they'll reinvest it. No, they just put it in more passive income. And if you just keep putting money in passive income, that only helps people who are in passive income and trust fund babies. If you don't already have several million dollars, you can't buy into that. Right. And if your wage is so low, like uh, Paul Ryan said, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, how in the hell are you going to put that put aside 10, 20, 30 percent into some sort of mutual fund and take advantage of that passive income when you can't feed your kids or can't afford health care or can't just afford simple things like you can't afford to take your family out to dinner. And so you get a extra money and you take your family out to dinner instead of putting it in some sort of investment that will pay off. And, and it's like I'm all I have a money invested. It is an important part of your financial structure, but it's not possible when the wages are so far behind. So if you want trickle down to work, you're going to have to do this massive unified effort to fix it, it <laughs> you got to do everything you can uh, because the, the other part is the corporate rate. You know, they lowered the corporate rate for t- to twenty one percent from thirty five percent. Now, first of all, corporations in America don't pay thirty five percent. They claim every imaginable deduction and pay none or almost zero taxes. GE paid zero taxes, right? And you're telling me that they're going to move their money from overseas tax havens with almost zero taxes? And come back to the USA because it's just 21%. Because, you know, it's like, well, I'll take my, instead of my 10% tax rate or my 5% or my 2% overseas tax rate, yeah, I'm going to come get 21 just because I'm nice. Hey, you want trickle down to work? You got to do that. You got to convince CEOs 
again, even though the prime, the, the fiduciary prime directed of CEOs would not normally make them bravely patriotic and courageous and cut into the profits by repatriating their revenue, it wouldn't make them do it. It's against what they're told to do. But if they're going to do it, then trickle down will work. But you got to convince everybody to do that. <laughs> right? And this is where we talk about the liar's lens. The liar's lens is this idea that once you identified somebody as a liar, uh, that's all you see. That's the lens you see them in. Every time they say something from that moment forward, you go, eh, you've lied to me before. I'm pretty sure this is probably a lie again. And that is what the Republican Party is doing to himself. Again, I come from a family of Eisenhower Republicans, and it just breaks my heart to see that one of the parties is literally going away uh, because they are getting more and more people see them in the liar lens. They see them as full of crap. Now, they are consistent. Uh, and I do want to play some of these folks because the ways in me, some of these folks who, who are arguing for this. Um, first, let's hear a little bit from Nancy Pelosi, because there's an argument that she's being her rhetoric is too big, that she calls it Armageddon. It's out of control. So uh, let's hear what Nancy no, says. No, it is the end of the world. This health care, the debate on health care is life death. This is Armageddon. Uh, this is a very big deal because you know why? There's really a very hard way to come back from this. They take us further, more deeply into debt. What can you do but raise taxes? They contend that their a gift uh, to corporate America of a trillion and a half dollars, could be up to a trillion and a half dollars, will be paid for by the growth it creates. And even their own people say, nonsense, not true, not true. So let's be truthful with the American people about that. They throw a few crumbs to the middle class, but they give with one hand, they take away in bounty with the other. And why? Because it is in their DNA to give tax cuts to the rich. That's their purpose in coming to Congress. So she says it's in their DNA. I have to give tax cuts. That's just unfair. That's not correct. Well, okay. Um, let's 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 hear from them, right? Because the House Ways and Means Committee, who put this together, and by the way, reporters have been asking them all day, "What are these tax brackets?" They don't even know what's in their bill. Eighteen, the eighteen members of the eighteen of the members of the House and Ways and Means Committee, Republican members, could not name the tax brackets, and they could not name the percentages, and they supposedly designed this bill. But if you've ever worked in Congress or seen in Congress, they come up with a top sheet or a couple ideas and they let staffers figure it out and they don't even care anymore. They feel like they've accomplished it. So let's start with Peter Roskam, Republican from Illinois. He's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. And here's kind of what he says about it. If we continue to stay with this current tax code, more and more companies will be leaving and they'll be going offshore. And the proof of that is, look, I'm from Chicagoland, an iconic American Chicago-based company, Aon, a big insurance company left and they didn't go to some Caribbean tax haven, they went to the UK. Or when uh, the company that owns Burger King left Florida, they didn't go to some tax haven, they went to Canada. So we've got to move forward and we've got to, we've got to basically shed the status quo. And so my, my challenge would be to critics who say, we don't like where you're leading us. Well, the, the, the admonition then is, I don't like where we are now. And I would argue that moving forward towards a different tax code is um, is far more fruitful than staying where we are. And so he argues that they'll come back. Uh, you know, well, here's a simple one. Why don't you do what Republican Teddy Roosevelt did and demand 
that if corporations are going to make millions and dollars off the American billions of dollars off the American consumer, that they have to actually pay taxes on those profits. You simply make a law that requires them and says, no, you can't hide it offshore. Period. Done. Done. They didn't even, you know, they didn't even consider that. Because they have to say, well, we can't make a company do something. We have to just lower the tax rates so low that they'll do it naturally. It's like, really? If you see an injustice, if you see someone defrauding the system and gaming the system and cheating, you know, if it was if it was if you were playing in an NFL and one team got to call fouls and penalties on the other team, but their team never got called for fouled or penalties, you would change the rules. You would say, How can we make one team suffer from penalties and not the other? It doesn't make any sense, but they don't even consider that because they're just, this is, it is in their DNA. It seems to be in their day in the DNA, right? So I don't know. When we come back, I want to get more into their heads so that you can kind of see where they're coming from. And then you'll know where we're going because 2018 looks awesome. I also want to show you one of the most powerful things that's happening in America right now that will totally brighten your spirits. All that when we return to Possibility Politics. This is the final segment of Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for checking me out. And what, uh, you know, I try to bring, feelize our way to a, a saner life uh, so that we can see that this is all really working. This is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. We are seeing what is happening. Uh, apathy is gone. You know, that's the nice thing about this. Apathy is really gone. I'm going to get to that. I want to get one more thing on uh, on the taxes with Seth Meyers. This bill also adds nearly $1.5 trillion to the deficit after years of GOP hysteria about government spending. And Republicans are already being very open about the fact that they're going to use the deficits they created as an excuse to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid under the guise of so-called welfare reform. Last week, House Speaker Paul Ryan, a father of three, was asked about paying for those programs and said the problem wasn't that Republicans are giving away billions to corporations and the wealthy, but that people aren't having enough babies. The great thing about tax reform coming right now is we're going to be able to create the kind of an economy that produces good family-supporting jobs, higher wages, that will be there for people who are stuck in poverty and welfare to go to. This is going to be the new economic challenge for America. People. Baby boomers are retiring I did my part, but, but you know, we need to have higher birth rates in this country. I'm sorry, you did your part? <laughs> you know who might have something to say about that? Your wife. <laughs> if I had turned to my wife right after my son was born and said, well, I did my part, I'm pretty sure she would have picked me up and broken me over her knee like Bane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Seth Myers. Uh, isn't that a fascinating? Paul Ryan says the answer is we need to make more babies uh, because there aren't enough people to pay for the Social Security. Think about that for a second. You know, you look back at like the greatest generation of World War II. There was a threat to mankind, an existential threat by the Nazis and, and, and the other fascists and the Japanese uh, empire against mankind. And so what did we do? We said, well, then we'll do everything necessary to fix it, period, right? Well, we have a new threat. The new threat is because of the nature of the baby boomers and, and, and just the, our, the way our population formed. It wasn't something that was some sort of deliberate, malicious thing. The way our population formed, we have a massive, unprecedented chunk of retirees who are sick and elderly. Now, do we want to rise to that occasion like we did in World War II and say, back in World War II, they raised taxes on the rich to 90%, 90% on the top brackets in order to pay for the war to save our existence. And so Paul Ryan won't even consider for a second raising the taxes to pay 
for an influx of sick and elderly people who deserve to be uh, cared for and, and, and helped because, hello, they gave birth to all of us, right? We exist. If you're not a baby boomer, you exist because of one. <laughs> and so we're going to forsake them and go, you know what? We just need to make more babies. That's the problem. And that's okay if he wants to think that way. This is a free country, as they say, and, and diversity of thought is good for us. It's good to think about different ideas. But we see what you're doing, and it is not a popular idea. Let's do more House and Ways and Means. But here's, here's Jackie Walorski, a Republican from Indiana from the House Ways and Means. Well, you know, it, it uh, fulfills the promise that we made to America, especially in the last election. And um, we're going to keep the promise. We're going to take a very broken tax system, bring it down <laughs> fair and flatter. And um, pro-growth, pro-jobs, and, you know, something that is pro-family. And, you know, as I've, be, I've just been, obviously, in the Ways and Means Committee for the last year, but I am so grateful for the, for the privilege of actually sitting there and helping put this thing together so that it reflects, I think, um, the values that our districts have, have projected on what kind of economy we can have, that we can have an economy that booms and that we can have an economy that brings good jobs back and um, rising wages, which I think, you know, we've spent so much time looking at middle-income earners. And in my district, it's, you know, double household middle-income earners with children. And they're going to see a substantial difference in their tax base in February and their paychecks. And then when we have an opportunity for the first time to actually file these taxes and to see what the difference is between, you know, the things like double standard deductions and those kinds of things. I, this is an exciting day. It's an exciting day for the country and certainly for uh, my district in Indiana. Yeah, they're very excited about it. And she spent all this time working on it. And then reporters asked her, did you know what's in the tax plan? Could you name the tax brackets? She, Jackie Walorski, could not name the tax brackets. She could not name the percentages of things. It's not that hard. I mean, if you stud- if you supposedly designed it, you should know, right? But even but her ignorance aside, she believes it. She's excited. She thinks that if you give more money to rich people, it's going to work. Okay, you are entitled to that idea. That is an idea. It is also an incredibly unpopular idea that is not only unpopular, has been tested from Reagan till today and has yet to work. In the history of uh, all the way back to the feudal system of, of castles and lords, when you increase the wealth of lords to make them happier, it only made the peasants' uprise worse. <laughs> Uprisings worse. It's just not going to work unless there's this massive, unprecedented generosity by every single millionaire and CEO. And since they've already been on the record saying that's not going to happen, we're not going to do that. The $5 billion cut to Wells Fargo is going to go right back into the hand of passive income trust fund babies. So lucky sperm club. That's just not going to happen. Meanwhile, CHIP is about to end Two million kids are going to lose CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, is going to lose their health care coverage. And this is for folks. This is not for poor folks. Medicare, Medicaid is still going to be there. Medicaid. Uh, This is for folks who make too much money to be in the poverty level, but not enough money to afford insurance for their kids. And many of those are going to lose their coverage on January 1st. Almost all of the rest of them by the end of January. And Congress is about to go home. Uh, satisfied they've taxed, passed a tax cut bill and not really concerned. They don't get it. And so they're going to lose. <laughs> Democrats are going to kill Republicans in 2018. And Alabama showed that. Virginia showed that. They have what they call now the strategy, the, the Southern strategy. It's called the 3M strategy 
appeals to minorities, millennials, and moderate Republicans, especially well-educated white suburbanites who hate Donald Trump. And this is a variation of sort of the Obama coalition, but it's fine-tuned for consumption in the South by emphasizing economic issues rather than cultural issues. The Democrats have figured out that the one thing, as I said at the top of the show, that unifies everybody is that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class have no chance of, of accelerating. So they are going to play on that. And Alabama proved that uh, that can work pretty well. <laughs> Minorities, millennials, and moderate Republicans. So they're going to lose their electoral butts in 2018, even though they've gerrymandered every district. And by the way, states like Michigan are getting the petitions required to put on the ballot to make to pass laws to make it illegal to gerrymander based on political affiliation. So you can't just cage what you're the party you don't like and spread your party's people out even a certain way. Because in Virginia, for instance, okay, this is what I'm so excited about Virginia. Go with me on this one. You're gonna. Uh, this is gonna make you feel wonderful. All right. In addition to what happened, we've talked about what happened, but they Democrats there got 200,000 for the House of Delegates votes and the governor and the lieutenant governor. They got 200,000 more votes for Democratic candidates than Republican candidates. And all it resulted in was a 50-50 in the, del- in the House of Delegates tie. That that's how gerrymandered it in. That you need a 10 point. That's what they had a 10 point more uh, increase, uh, 10 point lead by Democrats in the polls, in the, in the polling and the result of the vote. And they still only control half, but they control half. Now, as you know, you probably heard there is one recount where Sherry Simons won by one vote to make it 50-50 in the House of Delegates. Now, supposedly they've overturned that and the judges made the the three judge panel may actually draw straws to see who wins that one. So this is not necessarily going to happen for sure. But it looks like there will be a 50-50. 50 tie in the House of Delegates. Let me tell you the significance of that, because what do we want? We want to see the end of tribalism and the rise of a more unified, shared, mutual benefit in our politics where we're working together. This is what we got way out of whack, right? When it, this is the chaos is that we got so tribal, we couldn't get any done. And we spent all our time having being right instead of be trying to be kind or, or inspired or, or, or helpful, right? And so here in Virginia, they're in Virginia, which, if you recall from your history, is where the Civil War basically happened. There and along the Mississippi is where the vast majority of the Civil War happened. It's where Robert E. Lee was from. And when, when Abraham Lincoln said, will you come be a general for the Union? He said, no, I'm going to fight for the South because I'm a, I can't fight against my own Virginians. Virginians was the epicenter of this. This is the part that is like the pivoting point of America. And what is happening is they have a 50-50 split and that means that it isn't in the House of Delegates in Virginia isn't like the Senate, where if you have a 50-50 split, uh, the, the, the lieutenant governor splits the tie or something. No, there's no tiebreaker. And this hasn't happened to the Virginia delegates. So they literally are in a position where they must work together. Every single Republican can vote for a speaker of the delegate House of Delegates, and every single Democrat can vote for their speaker of the House of Delegates, Democrats, and they will not have an answer. Somebody has to to compromise, has to work with the other side, has to consider the other points of view. And in order to get a speaker through, think about that, to vote for just a speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates, there will be actual uh, negotiations, actual discussions, because they don't have any other choice. And that is consciousness for y'all. That's what happens when the universe and reality catches up with you. Because no matter how tribalist we got, no matter disgusting we got about it, uh, 
We are now manifesting circumstances which are unifying us. And it's happening so fast. All right. So allow me to leave you, uh, since it's the last show of uh, the year of 2017, I'm going to leave you with some predictions about what's going to happen in 2018. Start with the basic one, the tax cut, this giant tax cut. First of all, it is written so horribly that for the next first three months, you're going to see this strange thing in the news of them trying to fix it, trying to an IRS trying to scramble to implement it, payroll companies being in total disarray. It'll be good again for the rich people because rich people will just say, accountant that I pay a ton for, uh, figure it out. Figure it out, you, and they'll and they'll study it and, and and do it. It doesn't matter because if you're super rich and your your tax withholding isn't quite accurate, it doesn't matter. You'll make it up at the end of the year. You're not worried about it. But for the paycheck to paycheck crowd, for the vast majority of us, there's going to be a little bit of chaos, and that's only going to make it worse for this Republican Party, which doesn't isn't doing things thoughtfully. And after hearings and consideration and deliberation, they're just rushing forward because they know that it's almost over. A lot of them can see the writing on the wall that this is the last chance to get through the stuff that their donors wanted. And again, they had no choice. I don't know if you know this, but Republicans over the last 10 years in particular have been dropping more and more in small donations. They don't have small donations anymore to the point where the vast majority of their campaign revenue comes from a handful of corporations and and billionaires and literally a handful of families, Sheldon Adelson, the Mercers, the Koch brothers. These are funding everything, and this is what they wanted. And so they... Not only, uh, not only do these Republicans have to give their donors what they promised, but they want to. These folks were recruited by the donor class because they were willing to sign that Grover Cleveland tax pledge that you will cut taxes under all conditions, especially for rich people, because it'll trickle down. They found people who believed it. And it, and they wasn't been tested yet. And that's the beautiful thing about this is because now it's being tested. Now it's out in the open. Now everyone's seeing it. And you see what happens. And so now we know what they really mean. And everybody's really bothered by it. Nobody thinks that's the direction we should go except for the 25%. The other 75% at least of America thinks that it should be less Robin Hood. and I mean, more Robin Hood and less, uh, less Sheriff of Nottingham. You know, more for, uh, more for the average person. And they say, oh, we'd have to fit. Because you know, if, they, if they're, they're being disingenuous, they say we have to fix wages in this America, then raise the minimum wage. Raised to 15 bucks because you know that statistics and, and, and research and Nobel Prize winning laureate uh, econo- economists have proven that if you raise the minimum wage, everybody's raises, everybody's wages goes up, period. It's just that simple. Now, you don't want to raise the minimum wage to $45, $50 an hour. Yeah, great. That I, I see that Republicans or, or I should say fiscal Republicans or whatever. They're not even fiscal anymore. They run up deficits. They're not fiscal. So, so what will happen with the tax cut? is it'll just kind of be this mess for most of the year, but it will get going and it will get some cuts to middle class. And ironically, you know, they put the majority of the middle class and poor tax cuts up up front so that by 2027, you're screwed if you're in the middle class. But they put it up front to try to make everybody happy and say, trust me, this is good, right? And give a chance for CEOs and corporations to trickle it down. Well, it's going to be overturned and rewritten when the Democrats take control. They're going to they're going to toss it and start over again. And nicely, uh, the the tax cuts will go to the middle class for the first year of this first year or two, and so it'll be a little better in that sense. Uh, but uh, it you know it's just going to be very much a lot of chaos. And so, what happens to the other parts of the topics? I want to get a couple more predictions. Um, 
because November <laughs> of 2018 will be here in no time, but it will feel like an eternity. There will be a thousand twists and turns between now and January of uh, 2019 when Democrats take back control, if you will. No one will believe what will happen next year, and yet it will. Stuff that's going to happen next year with the Russia investigation is going to terrify you and thrill you. But know that the wicked always get theirs, and freedom always prevails, and goodness always prevails. But you can also say this next year, there will be more members of Congress this year who will probably resign due to various reasons, from sexual allegations to knowing that they were, they'll not get reelected, that they're, they're, they're screwed. Uh, there will be more who will be ramping up the attacks on the FBI, and not only because they're, it's threatening their Trump, but like Devin Nunes and company, they're ramping up their accusations because they're guilty too. Remember Devin Nunes got a whole lot of money from Russian investors that was not explained to build his wineries in California. He's a California congressman. They are in jeopardy of going to jail. There will be lots of indictments. There will be a lot of chaos this year. This is going to be one of the most terrifying years we've ever had in politics, but it's also going to be fun. So settle in and enjoy it. And as far as Merry Christmas, uh, I'll leave you with one last thing. Remember what, what Trump said about this? I told you that we would be saying Merry Christmas again, right? I was the one when I was here last time, I said... Gonna have Christmas again. I was the one that said you go to the department stores and you see Happy New Year and you see red and you see snow and you see all these things. You don't see Merry Christmas anymore. With Trump as your president, we are going to be celebrating Merry Christmas again. Now, just for fun, the implication is is that President Obama didn't do Merry Christmas, and God bless the internet. They, of course, put together the perfect montage. Have a very Merry Christmas. We want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. A very, very Merry Christmas and a holiday filled with joy. I want to wish every American a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Right, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Mele Kalikimaka, everybody. Mele Kalikimaka. Clearly, he never said it. That's President Obama. I wish you a Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa Solstice, whatever it means to you. And uh, we'll see you in 2018. Thanks for listening. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop-cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 